0: Welcome to Res Talk, your source for the latest news, opinions, and training from top building performance, rating, and auditing experts. Here's your host, committed building science enthusiast, and registered professional engineer, Bill Spohn. Welcome back to another episode of the Res Talk podcast. I'm your host, Bill Spohn, and I've worked in the HVACR and building performance markets for almost 30 years and been interfacing with the fine team at ResNet for nearly that whole time. It's our goal at the podcast, the ResTalk podcast, to communicate late-breaking news and thoughtful insights into the broad array of topics in the rapidly expanding world of residential energy ratings to the broad array of stakeholders in the ResNet ecosystem. If you're a consumer or want to learn more about the benefits of home energy rating, cruise on over to ResNet.us. For professionals, it's ResNet.us slash professional. Even before the impact of the pandemic, the housing market was in a challenging time. The home building industry is certainly complicated in the physical world with all the components, materials, and contractors that need to come together. What additional complexities have arisen in the last six months? What do builders and raiders need to know to be better prepared for the future? Clayton Trailer joins us today in the podcast to shed some light on the deceptively complicated world of home building. He'll help us take apart and see all the pieces involved. From his position as VP for State and Regulatory Affairs at the Leading Builders of America, or LBA, Clayton has a great handle on the numbers, trends, demographics, and more His LBA represents 20 of the nation's largest builders. Clayton helps us peek into the looking glass of what the largest home builders see on the road ahead and lends advice on where you need to be positioned to succeed. Let's listen in as the conversation with Clayton develops to discover the U.S. housing market through the looking glass. Clayton, how are you doing today? I'm well, thanks. Great to have you here. So Clayton, listeners may not be familiar with who you are or who you work with. Why don't you give us a little background, please?
1: Happy to. My name is Clayton Trailer. I'm the vice president of state and regulatory affairs for a trade group called Leading Builders of America. We represent 20 of the largest public and private home builders around the country. Bill, I like to refer to myself as sort of a housing lifer. I spent um, mm-hmm. a number of years in Washington, D.C., working for the National Association of Home Builders. Then I spent a few years in Dallas with uh, Syntex Homes, and I've been working with leading builders of America here for the last 11 years. Wow,
0: that's quite a career. So many things have changed across that long span of time is your your life imprisonment and housing. <laughs> but the most recent thing that I'm sure is on a lot of people's minds, a lot of our listeners' minds, is the impact of COVID on the homes of the process today and, and even of building and owning and buying a home, as well as homes of the future. Can you dig into that a little
1: Sure, I think one immediate effect of the COVID-19 crisis has been to streamline the purchase and closing process for new homes. Uh, necessity, they say, is the mother of invention, and certainly mm-hmm. we've had to figure out how to take the human touch out of a lot of the steps in the home purchasing process. I suspect those changes are going to become permanent.
0: It's happening in a lot of different places. It's the great unplanned experiment with all kinds of things in, in everyone's lives right now. Another kind of thing that's just a real timely topic is do you have any kind of forecast about the results of what the upcoming presidential election might have on the housing industry?
1: Well, that's Bill the $64 billion mm-hmm. question, right. as it were. Yeah. Um, exactly. <laughs> I, I think in the lead up to any election and where there's the potential for a change of control, a lot of uncertainty is surrounding that. If there's a change in administration, as is typical, there will be kind of a wait and see attitude about what their regulatory posture is going to be, what their posture is going to be towards economic growth. If the incumbent is reelected, I think people will see a roadmap ahead for the next four years. that looks a lot like the one of the past four years.
0: Yeah, that sort of makes sense. a Very logical conclusion there. I think sometimes you just have to sort of boil things down to some basics like you have right there. What are some of the things that, again, a very timely topic, I know from looking at things myself, the interest rates have changed pretty dramatically, have dropped. What kind of impact do you see that having?
1: We've been, bought my first house in, in 1991, and I remember, you know, I thought I was really fortunate to get a 7% interest rate, and my, that seems astronomically high now. Mm-hmm. We've, we've been through a period of the last, really, 12, 13, 14 years of abnormally low interest rates, historically low interest rates. And it appears based on the Fed's signaling and and statements that we're in for a sustained period of low interest rates for the foreseeable future. I think what'll be interesting is to see perhaps five, 10, 15 years down the road when the people that have these sub 3% mortgages, when they would naturally go into a rotation of buying another home, either moving up or moving down, whether they feel like that they can walk away from that mortgage. There's a term that's sort of been coined about it. They call these mortgages, super low interest rate mortgages, anchor mortgages, because people just really don't want to let them go.
0: Interesting. It's a term I've never heard before, anchor mortgages. So also two things that probably go hand in hand here is the unemployment as well as construction labor. How can you kind of work around those couple of issues and the existing status and the changes?
1: Well, we've seen over the last, really since the Great Recession, a steady erosion in the supply of people that are interested in working in the construction industry. At the same time, people that are interested in coming into the industry. At the same time, we've seen a lot of the people that have worked in that space, frankly, aging out. They've done their 25 or 30 years, and they're ready to either retire or do something else. And so really, it's the labor crisis in the construction area is really kind of twofold. It's, we're not replacing the workforce that we have, and that existing workforce is attriting due to retirement and movements to other sectors of the economy. It's a significant challenge for the home building industry.
0: Are there any activities that either LBA is involved with or knows of that directs those that are unemployed or those that are employed into this area? Is there anything going on there?
1: Last year, we established a foundation, Building Futures Talent Foundation, to address this exact problem. The chief executive officer is is a woman named Branca Minich. She's been in the workforce development space forever. She's doing some tremendous things, just even in the first year that she's been on the team with really connecting people that have been displaced by COVID and kind of redirecting them Mm -hmm. to opportunities in the construction sector and, and we see that as an ongoing challenge and frankly an ongoing opportunity for people that perhaps used to work in the hospitality industry and they need a job and there's certainly plenty of opportunities in the construction sector and really that the demand is pretty much nationwide.
0: So there's a lot of interdependencies in construction Does LBA see that sort of as a strength? I mean, in terms of the fact that it involves labor, it involves materials, it involves interest rates, it involves consumers. Can you talk a little bit around that issue, the topic, really?
1: Yeah. home building is a deceptively complicated business. Um, I've Mm -hmm. heard people say that it's a simple business, but it's a hard business. And I think that when you look at all the factors that have got to come together for a home to be constructed, it's the permitting process, it's entitlement, its acquisition of land, its construction, the sufficiency of materials, the labor to put that together, the infrastructure to finance, the construction of the home, the permanent financing for a consumer. As you said, it's a very interdependent universe, and it all has to work in harmony in order for the industry to be prosperous and and for us to be able to meet the demands for housing that we see in front of us.
0: Was there anything in the the last six months or so with the CoVID situation that surprised you either one way or another, so negatively or positively about the construction industry?
1: Oh, well, there's no question that we were all, I think, quite surprised at the really unprecedented increase in demand that we mm-hmm. have seen for new homes. So certainly everyone understood that we were in a positive interest rate environment. But when you look at all the uncertainties around a pandemic, you look at the issues with unemployment, and to see people really, really embracing new homes and really an historic leap forward in demand, you really got to kind of look at that. And I think part of it is people are spending less money on commuting, and therefore they have more money to spend on a home. They have spent a lot of time in their homes, and they've come to understand what they don't like about their house and what they would do differently if they had an opportunity to do so. And really interest rates are kind of the lubricant that allow them to move from a situation that doesn't perhaps fit their current needs to one that better suits their needs. I hear from home buyers a lot about, hey, we've got kids at home and they're now learning from home. We don't know how long they're going to be learning from home. My husband's working from home. My wife's working from home. Everyone's on the internet all the time. We need drastically more bandwidth. We need hotspots throughout the house. So the COVID pandemic has certainly changed the way people look at their homes. And I think we're going to see some permanent and long-term changes to sort of what new homes look like and how they live for tomorrow's customers.
0: You started to explore that like the home features actually itself may change in terms of defining spaces and smart home and things like that. Any other insights there?
1: Yeah, I think that there's going to be a reversal of the trend of people wanting to get away from sort of the designated study, quote unquote, or office that was typically positioned in one corner of a house in which the person who was working there was isolated from the other residents for the last several years with wireless connectivity in houses people have really moved away from that, right? They've said, well, I can just take my laptop and put it on the kitchen island and work from there. Well, now along comes the COVID thing. And all of a sudden you've got several people working from home and the incredible increase in the use of Zoom and go to meetings and things like that in which really high level professional work is being done from home is really reversed that trend. So back needing a designated office space, and, and even people looking at things like sound attenuation, solid core doors, yeah, wow. sealed doors, more insulation, better types of windows, just for those rooms, staggered wall assemblies. If people continue to work from home and they're continuing to use audio-visual as a primary means of communicating, that's going to be something that we'll see grow in the future.
0: Yeah, one anecdote. I'm personally aware of my brother-in-law works for a large technology firm. They have 3,000 people that work on campus that have all been working from home since March. They did a survey, and four people wanted to go back to the office to work out of 3,000.
1: Well, let's talk about that, because I think that if that becomes a trend, I think it sort of changes the equation uh, in terms of where we will see future growth in the United States. People are not having, they're not tethered or physically connected to large urban centers. And a lot has been written about this already. It really makes the exurbs much more attractive locations because of the lower cost of housing, better schools, in some cases, better access to outdoor living amenities and things like that. And then also probably attractive small communities. People would typically say, you know, I need to live within, 20 miles of downtown or 25 miles or something like that. If you're not having to go to the office, maybe you live 150 miles from an urban center. And uh, that may be a real area of growth in future years.
0: How about the impact of the supply and demand and price of land? What are some of the perspectives you have there? Well,
1: no one... And our industry really foresaw the type of demand that we're experiencing now. And what that means is that we're selling more houses on the front end than we are buying lots on the back end. So every home builder, not every home builder, the vast majority of them are drawing down their inventory of either finished lots or lots under contract or lots contracted for development. And pretty soon that will have an effect. It's going to take some time to get the development Process kind of kick started and in a position to meet the, the needs and replace the lots that are being sold today in this very robust housing market.
0: How about uh, materials, supplies, things that are happening in terms of uh, commodity trade and non commodity trade? Any observations there?
1: Well, Bill, that's a good question. It's something I think every home builder from coast to coast is grappling with right now. We're seeing really a combination of things. Um, There are trade tensions between the United States and Canada, United States and China, many other countries, and that's having an effect on the supply and the price of all kinds of different types of lumber materials, but also things like granite countertops, components that go into HVAC systems and things like that. So yes, there's definitely a shortage in key commodities and For sure, what we're seeing is very significant price increases really across the board.
0: Are there any sort of building techniques that are changing as a result of this? Maybe even longer term change, not necessarily COVID related change, but trends that you see happening in building techniques. You know, I've heard about factory building, modular building, things like that. Are some of your uh, member companies of the 20 companies working in that area?
1: The concept of Assembling houses either partially or completely off site and assembling them, positioning them on site is a technology that has been around for a long time and has been explored by almost every large home builder at some point. It's really sort of a continuum, though. It can be everything from wall assemblies, trusses, to completely constructed wall assemblies in which the insulation has already been installed and, and the house is simply. Snaps together, if you will, on site. The technology has been out around for a long time. It's just always been difficult from a cost and simplicity to execute perspective to beat on site construction. That's just, there've been lots of different attempts to make that work. And they really tend to kind of come and go with the cycle. And as demand increases and the focus on efficiency increases. People are more and more interested in looking at those remote construction solutions, but we'll see.
0: That's a really good perspective you've given us, our listeners here. You actually did a presentation at the conference in February, just before the whole pandemic thing started. Any kind of significant differences, what you would have talked about then versus now? I mean, you covered some of them already, but anything else we've missed perhaps?
1: Bill, I remember giving that presentation in Arizona, and Mm -hmm. uh, I kind of do a bear and a bull type analysis where I say, here's the things that that are positives, and here are the things that are potential negatives. I recall that the number one thing that I had on that the potential negatives list was some type of exogenous external event that was outside of the control of the industry, and boy, we've gotten that in spades since then. So in looking back at that, the ability of an outside event to really sort of turn all the conventional assumptions upside down. That's exactly what happened.
0: And everyone coped. I'm sure it's it's a lot of people's credit for all the coping that's been done. Any closing thoughts for our listeners or the readers that are listening here?
1: Yes, I think that the factors that we've talked about here today, which are increases in commodity prices, increases in demand, the upcoming shortage of finished lots, all those things sum to one conclusion and that is that new homes are gonna get more expensive. And I think that the signal that the industry is gonna be sending to all of our stakeholders, all of our partners, everything in the supply chain is we've gotta get more efficient about how we operate our businesses, we've got to get costs as controlled as we possibly can in order to maintain affordability. I mean, we don't want sort of a, an Icarus recovery here where prices go so high that we snuff out demand. And it's going to be up to everybody to work collaboratively to find efficiencies everywhere we can locate them.
0: That's a great summary. I like that. And you really focus back on the business aspect of it, which is what all keeps everything flowing here. So any uh, particular contact information we should give for uh, the Leading Builders of America, like a website or something?
1: Yep, leadingbuildersofamerica.org. Very
0: good. I took a look at your website a little earlier today and uh, noticed there are a lot of uh, case studies and information. It's a very nicely arranged, succinct website. So I encourage people to click on over and take a look at that. They can learn a few things.
1: Well, Well, Bill, thanks for having me today. I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, Clayton, thank you very much. We welcome to have you here on the Res Talk podcast, and perhaps maybe after the election or after the end of the pandemic, we'll get you back to see if your your looking glass has gotten cloudy or, or clear.
1: I'd love to do it. Thanks, Bill.
0: I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Res Talk podcast with Clayton Trailer. If you're pro in the building market, you can surf on over to Resnet.us/professional to learn more or join the email list. You can also find ResNet on Facebook or Twitter. Here's a quote that relates to today's topic by Nick Petrie. To be a carpenter, or a builder, or a home inspector, you have to have that kind of visual brain where you can sort of imagine something being taken apart. That's what Clayton helped us do, is kind of take apart the complexities of the market and better understand and prepare for the future. If you're interested in feeding back to ResNet, what you heard here, would like to hear a new topic covered, or just to have a general question, please send an email to info if you're not subscribed, please do so. And as always, thank you for listening to ResTalk. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Res Talk podcast. This podcast is hosted by Bill Spohn and is a production of ResNet, the Residential Energy Services Network. The best way to listen to this podcast is to subscribe on an iPhone using the podcast app or on an Android device by downloading the Stitcher app and searching for Res Talk. If you are willing, a review on iTunes or the podcast app will help others find the show and would be very much appreciated. We look forward to talking again soon on RezTalk.